Well, welcome back to QAV, Kino. Had a good week? Hey, Cam, yeah. It was, it's uh, Easter. Easter's been and gone. It's uh, the Wednesday after Easter today, 2019. Had a big Easter. Had uh, some friends staying and very social time. Very good. Did you get some golf in? I did. I played on Monday. Beautiful, what are you, what, beautiful work. Like, what do you like as a golfer? Are you par? Are you under par? Oh, what God, are no. you? No, no, I'm a 21 handicapper, so pretty average. Been down a bit lower than that over the years, but haven't been able to play much this year with moving countries and all the rest of it, so um, keen to get back out there again. Right. Last week on the show, we talked about Apollo Travel and Leisure. We did a bit of analysis on them, the makers of uh, recreational vehicles, RVs, makers, renters, sellers. Um How's their shares? How have their shares done since we talked about them? Like, what was the uh, QAV effect on their share price, Tony? We put the mocker on them. They've gone down. <laughs> so I'm just looking it up now. They are currently at eighty-eight point five cents, and I think when we did our analysis, they were at a dollar. Yeah. So when when that happens to you, if you buy a share and then it goes down, what do you do? Well, um, f- first of all, I'm patient. Um, if you recall, we did during that discussion talk about the trend line, the three-point trend line for the share, and we said it was getting close to a buy. It's retreated from that. So I'll be watching it and just looking to see which way the trend line's going at this stage. The score for the company was uh, positive, so it had lots of cash, good health. Um, we identified maybe some risks in terms of it was growing overseas and might be growing too fast and having some teething problems. So it's hard to it's hard to know from afar whether that's the case. We have to wait for some more figures to come through. So I'm looking for, I'm holding at this stage and I'm looking for uh, one of two things to happen. Just the, the trend line firmly re-establish itself one way or the other, or there's some release of new information in the market. Um, I'm just having a look at the ASX releases and nothing since the 4th of March. So there's no new information in the market to go on. So you would just sit on it like a watching brief on it um, and just keep an eye on news releases? Yeah, that's right. So for something that um, has had a a move like this, I might watch it every week um, or every couple of weeks and just check it out. You don't want to jump at shadows at these things because it's just as likely to turn down then turn up again as as the other way. So um, you don't want to sort of watch it every day necessarily. and there's not much information flow coming through, so watching it every day is not going to really help. But yeah, if it starts to break uh, even further down, I'd, I'd probably look to sell. Oh, at what point? Yeah, good good question. See, if I look at the three-point trend at the moment, it's very close to being um, on the five-year monthly trend. It's very close to being a buy. So if it starts to retreat too far from that line, then I'd be selling. It, and it's no, it's no sort of definitive metrics around this. You've got to just sort of um, use a bit of experience and judgment, I guess. And your appetite for risk. See how this fits into your appetite for risk. If I have a large portfolio of lots of shares, if one starts to go down by 10%, I'm not that worried. But if all my if all my wealth is in the one share, I might be you know focused on it intently and not prepared to take a, a 20 or 30% bath on it. Right. But you've done the the financial analysis on it we decided that their finances looked good looked mm-hmm. strong mm-hmm. With, with as you said a few caveats but it looked good so all things being equal you would assume that that would play out well over the course of the year yes you'd think so that's right so which, which makes you a holder 
at this stage, doesn't it? I would think you would say, okay, well, listen, I made a I made a rational decision based on data, and um, I believe in that decision unless new information comes along that means I should uh, change my uh, yeah. view on those things. Yeah, that's well put. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, yeah, so, and I guess this might be a good time to talk about something else we thought we might mention, and that is the timing of our podcast going to air. Uh, so we, we did the analysis last week, and uh, I'm not sure when the podcast go, went, for that episode went to air, but um, it's going to be at least probably a week later. So this price drop has possibly already happened um, before people listen to it. And by the very nature of podcasts, people might not be listening to this until months and months and months down the track. And the whole situation may have changed. So I think it's important to to take note of if we do analysis, when we do that analysis and whether it still applies uh, or not. But I think even more important than that is is to just encourage people to do their own analysis. We're trying to give people the framework to do their own investment, not provide a, a tip sheet for people to go off and buy the stocks that we talk about. Yeah. I, well, I think a couple of good points there. Number one, if you are listening to this episode uh, at a great remove from the 24th of April 2019, stop. Don't don't go listen to the recent episodes. You don't want to be listening to old episodes. Maybe our first one or two episodes where we talk about Tony's background and the methodology and that kind of stuff. But yeah, there's no not a lot of value hearing us talking about outdated financials for companies. And B, as as you said, uh, our our goal with this show is to teach financial literacy and uh, make people better at coming up with their own investments, not just piggybacking off of uh, your or my efforts. Yeah, yeah, good point. And I very much see the checklist that we've been talking about um, as not something carved in stone. Um, it doesn't change very much, but it can change. Um, and it, and I, I would you know, invite listeners to give feedback on the checklist if they think that there's a way of improving it or that there's some kind of metric they're not comfortable with and we can investigate it that's the beauty of a checklist and it's the beauty of things like excel you can go back and regression test a change in the checklist and just see whether it's you know better off um, de-weighting one of the checklist points or or adding a new one Mm, the scientific method i love it yes yes exactly so uh, is there any other news that you wanted to talk about this week before we get into looking at some more financials? Yeah, so uh, one more. I mean, we spoke about Telstra, we spoke about BHP, and we've spoken about Apollo Tourism and Leisure now, and we've given them scores. And I think from memory, ATL, Apollo Tourism and Leisure, is probably the first one that we said had a good QAV score, if I recall. Um, so I wanted to talk about... Uh, how how this podcast will work in terms of the shares that I invest in and the shares that we talk about. And it's it's my goal not to what's called front-run our listeners. So it has occurred in the past, not so much with podcasts, but with tip sheets or with people who write out, uh, who write uh, emails and send them out to people recommending stocks. The, the sort of more scurrilous end of the, the pool of people who do that have in the past been caught buying a share and then recommending it to their their subscribers after the fact, and then that gives the share a boost as their subscribers buy into it, and then the uh, the tipster will sell the share at a profit, and maybe not even tell his subscribers or you know say something like, 
If only I could have gotten to you quicker, I would have told you about the new news in this stock, which caused me to sell it. Um, <laughs> so I, I don't want to play that game here. So I guess I'm going to impose a couple of rules on myself and uh, in terms of not front-running our listeners. The first one is if we analyze a stock, it's going to be one that, that I don't own. I may buy it after the podcast goes out, but I'm going to analyze stocks that I don't own. Now, I, I will declare that I do own Apollo Tourism Leisure. I own a, a small, small part of my portfolios in that stock. And it made me think about this issue after we analyzed it in the last podcast. So from now on, I, I won't do that. You, you did announce that. Um, on the last podcast too, you, you said that you had uh, bought it and sold it and bought back in. Yeah. And look, I think there's the universe of, of stocks that uh, do well on the QAV checklist. There's enough there, especially at the smaller end of the market, to be able to analyze them and, and give give people a feel for how to use the checklist and what the scores look like um, without them being stocks that I might hold. Because I tend to, having a larger portfolio, I tend to be limited by the average daily traded amount into what I can buy. And so I'm going to stick to the to the larger ones, which I guess frees up the, the market for us to talk about the smaller ones and not, not be tipping stocks that I already own in the hope that the buyers, the listeners will buy them and, and force their price up. Yeah, I get that. But to be honest, even with the larger ones, quite not, the, the amount of people that are going to listen to this podcast and potentially buy those stocks isn't going to have jack shit to do with their share price. Yeah, look, possibly. I mean, hopefully the podcast gets big enough so it does, but <laughs> possibly. I don't think it's going to shift, you know, a, a major stock that much if a couple of hundred podcast listeners go and, you know, invest a small yeah. amount of money in it. But True, true. But true. I think it's, look, I think either way, it's good that uh, we're going to be upfront about uh, this. And uh, at the end of the day, we're not telling people to buy a stock or not buy a stock. We just we just want to teach people how to analyze the financials for themselves and make their own investment decisions based on that. Yeah, that's right. That's that is the key. The the value proposition for me of the of this podcast has always been you are a guy who has dedicated decades to becoming very good at understanding the financials and and what metrics to look at. And it's just you teaching us how to do that for ourselves, teaching a man to fish, not teach him, give, give a man a fish. Yeah. I'm trying to remember that. <laughs> give a man a fish and you feed him for a day, teach a man to fish and you'll teach him how to fish and he can catch a shark. No, that's not it. <laughs> Something like that. And, you get, and, yeah. and you're listening to the Old Man in the Sea podcast. <laughs> fishing stories for the uninitiated. <laughs> it's been a long, long time since I've been fishing, obviously. All right. So um, do you want to talk about uh, any other news or stuff before we get into our share analysis for today? No, that's all I've got. That's, that's enough, I think. Okay, great. Mm. Well, the company... So we, we had an idea, actually. I think it was one of my kids that suggested that... Um, one of the one of the ways we could choose companies to talk about are those that are making other lists, like the um, hot list on this side or that side or this newspaper, and just start picking them at random and looking at their financials for ourselves and seeing um, whether or not we think they're financially healthy. And uh, so I think you you went to the AFRs uh, list and picked one. Yeah. So. 
I mean, that's exactly right. If it's not company reporting season or company reporting month when you're getting, you know, multiple companies giving you updated data every day, there's no real, real way to say, you know, how do I, how do I generate some leads for the portfolio? And, and you, your boys are right. Uh, the way I do it is I go to the Australian Financial Review and not every day, but maybe three or four times a week, they have their market performance tables. They include these just after the kind of middle pages where they have all the stocks and their prices listed. And the one I focus on is called the rolling year records. And they have uh, two tables. One is the stocks making new 52-week highs. And the other one is stocks making new 52-week lows. And since we don't want to be on the new 52-week low list, uh, I go through the stocks that are on their record highs for the year. And um, quite quickly, I can tell from those stocks uh, which ones may be a good candidate for a QAV analysis. And uh, I mean, over time, you start to get experience in which ones are just perennially not going to be on the QAV um, list because you know they're uh, they're growing fast, but they don't have much cash flow. And they're your kind of um, internet type stocks, your dot com type stocks. So they're Lots of growth, but not much cash coming in. But you do sort of start to see names that are recognisable as quality stocks and that they are worth doing a bit of research on. So to give you give the listeners some examples, I'm looking at the financial review for Wednesday, 24th of April. And the first stock making its 52-week high is a stock called 8Common, 8CO. So I know nothing about this stock, but it's the first one on the list. I'm just going to put it into Stock Doctor quickly. If I look at the front page of Stock Doctor, it's a sea of red numbers. So return on equity is negative 30%. Net profit margin is minus 63%. Revenue growth is minus 39%. So just from those kind of a quick glance at this, at those kind of numbers, I'm going to pretty much pass it by. Um, not saying it's a bad company, not saying it's, uh, it's one that people shouldn't investigate for themselves, but just my experience is I want to see some green numbers on that first page before I'll do a detailed QAB checklist analysis on it. Yeah, makes sense? Yeah, okay. Good. All right, so if I go down the list a bit further, there's one called ASB, which is Austal. And if I open that one in Stock Doctor, I've got return on equity of 7.26, net profit margin 2.38, revenue growth 21%, earnings per share growth 15.7%. So that is one that I would analyze further and do a checklist for. I'm not going to in this case because I bought the stock recently. So it's not one that I want to talk about in detail now that I'm the owner of it. It's reaching its, it's, it's making a new high, which is a good sign as well. But one that I will talk about is Maya. Now, Meyer isn't on the table this week, being the 24th of April, but it was on the last table, which came out just before Easter. You're talking about the financial reviews table. That's right, yeah. Yeah. In fact, if you look at Meyer and Stock Doctor, you still are seeing some red numbers on that first page, but they're not big red numbers. So return on equity is minus 1.3%. Net profit margin is minus 0.31%. Revenue growth is minus just under 2%. So they're not big red numbers. So given that, the next thing I would do is go to the financial statements uh, in Stock Doctor and go straight to the cash flow page. And 
On the cash flow page, I'm seeing operating cash flows of 117 million. That's for uh, the, the half ending January 19. And Stock Doctor has annualized that for me. That's not a bad number. So given the fact there's a lot of cash coming in, I would do analysis on Maya. And I don't know if you want to go through that checklist on Maya, Cameron, or not? Yeah, I do because yeah, okay. I, I had a go at doing it myself uh, this morning and was still struggling over some bits of the uh, worksheet. So I thought it would be good to go through it with you and make sure I'm doing my numbers right. Yeah, sure. Um, and the other, like I should say also too, the other reason why Maya might jump out at me looking at that list is because I have owned Maya in the past, bought and sold it, and I considered buying it when their, their half yearly report numbers came out, but didn't. And the reason why I didn't was because they, their three point trend line was just trending down, um, consistently and horribly. But in the last few months, it's trended up. So that's another reason to look into Maya a bit further. Any of your past employment experience weigh into your decisions at all? Yeah, it does. I'm a bit biased. Maya has always suffered from its position in the market, in my opinion, in that, like a lot of retail companies in Australia, they are, you know, at best growing at the rate of population or, or CPI, which is low at the moment. They're, they're a mature company. There's been no sort of new formats uh, brought to market by them. So they're really essentially chugging along, almost like um, a utility. Solid day in, day out company, but not growing very very um, smart, uh, very uh, strong, sorry, and of course facing stiffer and stiffer competition. So the, the big problem over time for Maya, and it goes probably the same for DJs, for, for David Jones, uh, for Target, for Big W, possibly Kmart, is they're all playing in the same market. And so they're all butting up against each, each other for market share. So Sometimes in the past, Maya might go down market a little bit and start to eat Target's lunch, or Target might go up market a little bit and start to eat Maya's lunch. And obviously when that happens, the other one retaliates, and so there's a market share tussle going on. No one's really cracked a new format to break out of that kind of struggle for market share in the Australian market. No one's sort of gone overseas, for example. Um, that's because there's plenty of department stores already overseas and no one's come up with new formats. I mean, we tried it with My Direct, and My Direct was a fairly separate part of Coles Meyer from the Meyer department store business. So there wasn't much overlap there at all. But you know, even then, in the early days of, uh, of selling online and catalog selling, it was a good business, but it wasn't big enough to really, you know, move the needle in the in the department store market. And now Meyer, of course, is also facing renewed threats from that category with Amazon coming into the market in the last year or so in Australia and launching mm. their own platform. Mm. So just when you say we tried it with Meyer Direct, for people that haven't listened to that, our first episode, you used to run Meyer Direct, what, 20 years ago? Yeah, that's right, uh, around around uh, 2000 for about three years. Right. Yeah. 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 Okay, so let's go to the spreadsheet. I have Stock Doctor open in front of me because I signed up for their free trial to give it a go oh, and see if I could figure it out. It's a very nice site, I've got to say. Very impressed. Mm -hmm. <laughs> done, a, done a great job. So uh, the first question, well, it's got net cash flow, but I didn't even bother with that on the checklist because they already give you the cash per share figure. Now, the cash per share number, if I'm reading this right, on the nine golden rules page under star income criteria, free cash flow, is that what we're looking for? 
No, so that's kind uh, of one level down from what we look at. So we look at uh, the operating cash flow. So I want to go to the financial statements page? Yeah, we do. Okay. Yeah. Look, and, and by the way, just, just on that, the operating cash flow is a good proxy for free cash flow because free cash flow is basically operating cash flow less capex. Um, and some people also take less depreciation as well. So uh, you, you can get into debates about, you know, whether the company does isn't using much capex now but may need some in the future and it gets a bit murky. So I just use the operating cash flow line to make it a bit simpler. And I kind of raise the bar a bit on uh, on a, a score I might pl- apply to a free cash flow analysis. Hey, just a quick note for those of you who are following along with the worksheet, make sure you have the latest version of the worksheet, which you can download from qavpodcast.com.au. Uh, because I'm updating it as my understanding of Tony's methodology improves, uh, making slight modifications to it, to the wording, to what we're highlighting, as you'll see later on in this episode, to some of the scores that he gives to certain elements that he thinks should be rated higher than others. So make sure you download the latest version. Whenever you hear uh, an episode, Go up, download the latest version of the worksheet and uh, work from there. So I've gone into financial statements, operating cash flow. Can you see that? Yep. Yeah. And so for January 19, the interim, um, you click the annualize button and you get $117.4 million. Yep. That's what I've got. Uh, and then we need the number of shares. Which, which I've got 82947 million. Eight hundred twenty million nine hundred forty-seven thousand. Yeah, correct. That's right. Yep. So then we get operating cash flow per share, and I get point one four, so fourteen cents. Share price uh, today is I got zero point seven one five, seventy-one and a half cents. Is that about still true? That's what it was this morning. Or yes, yesterday. It's I guess. down to point seven now, seventy cents. Okay, I'll change mm-hmm. that. Okay, which gives us a price per share to cash per share ratio of four point eight nine. Yep, that's right. Okay, so then we look at the sentiment share price graph going up over five years. Uh, a big no on that one. No, I think it's actually it is a, a three point trend now. Right, but so, going so up using, over the last five years is no. That's right. Yeah, but it's just started to go up and break that downward trend line. Okay, so we're treating that as different as a, from five years. Yeah, so we're treating that as being a. A potential buy signal. Okay, but are we? Does that mean that we? You're still going to rate it on the five-year sentiment, or? No, I'm giving it a one. I'm giving or a two actually. I'm saying there's a new three-point upturn. Okay. On my worksheet, though, I'm looking at whether or not it's been going up over five years. Mm-hmm. So do I, so. Am I going to ignore that and just look at the three-point trend? Yeah, we're just looking at a three-point trend. So if you look at that share graph. There was a there was a peak on the 29th of August in 2014, and then going down the trend line to the right, it started to tick up again, back on the 30th of the 12th, 2016, and then it trended down, and now it's turned up again in the last month. And if you take the trend line through those past two peaks I spoke about, the new upturn has broken through that trend line. Right. So that's a that's a buy signal, and it gets a two on our score. Interesting. Okay. So just to be clear on that, 
I'm looking, not looking at whether or not the price has been going up consistently over five years, but what the trend line looks like over the last five years. Yes, remember the concept of the three-point trend. So we're finding the mm-hmm. two two highest peaks on the on the graph, and we're drawing a line and seeing whether we're crossing it with the current share price, and we have. Uh, okay. So it's broken through that trend, that downturn trend. But I just use I used um, yeah the five year monthly and just eyeball it usually with a three point trend. All right, good. So, well, refining my checklist there. So now I move on to uh, dividends. Looking at the dividends, I've got them paying no dividend for the last twelve months. Uh, so you're looking so, on the financial statements page? Uh, no, I'm back on the front page, the where the share graph is. So the nine golden rules page. Dividend yield is one I'd look at, and it's zero. Somebody vacuuming behind you? <laughs> Sorry, no. It's it'll stop in a second. What is it? <laughs> this is going to sound really wanky, but there's some blinds that work automatically. They've just come down, in the <laughs> <country>. <laughs> and they're, they're programmed to do that. I think three hours before sunset to keep the sun off the um, the food in the pantry. And do you have sh- you know sharks with freaking lasers on their freaking heads as well, Tony, swimming around in your Dr. Evil lair there, your automated blinds? Yeah. Oh, my God. No, we don't. No, okay, no. so dividend yield, not dividend, um, so zero. Yeah. And then I want to look at the previous dividends as well, right? Yeah, we were looking for consistent yield, and, and it is consistent because they've paid nothing for the last couple of reporting periods but it's um it's you know doesn't score on our checklist okay but if you go back to 2016 2017 first half of 2018 mm-hmm. they were paying a dividend yep that's right um, and if you recall the reason why we look at dividend yield is because it's often a sign that when the dividends cut that they're in financial problems and my has been oh right then i've got the pe Okay, I've got, uh, there's no PE for Meyer at the moment because it's lost money. So its earnings per share is minus 0.94 of a cent. So there's no, there's no, you can't do a PE ratio if there's no earnings. <laughs> it lost money. If you look on that uh, financial statements tab in Stock Doctor, a heading called value and a line called PE. And July 18 actual uh, annual, sorry, was 11.63, and January 19 interim is blank. So zero. Yeah. Okay, so my next uh, line is the grading from the providers, Stock Doctor. Mm-hmm. And so on that financial statements page, you can see the top line is called financial health, and it's got strong, 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 strong all the way across. So yeah. it's, it's consistently strong. So that's a score. Yeah. Hmm. Net equity. I've got 617.56. Do you have the same? Yeah, that's right. Hey, I got one right. (laughs) Um, And then I'm looking at the previous reporting periods as well. So um, N minus 1, I've got 583.99. N minus 2, 580.05. N minus 3, 107.2.87. So the net equity is a lot lower now than it was a couple of reporting periods ago. That's right. Okay. Yep. So it's not consistently going up. Which means my net equity per share, taking the 617, dividing it by the number of shares on issue, I've got 0.75. Mm-hmm. Yep. And the price to book, 
So the share price divided by the net equity per share, I've got it 0.93. Yep, no, you're right, correct. Okay, hurdle rate. Now we do a, uh, I've got the hurdle rate in as 19.5. Earnings yep. per share, 0. A negative 0. 0.94. Ooh. Right, because they're, they're lost money in the last uh, reporting period. That's right. Yep. Now future earnings per share, I've got a 4. You got that? Yeah, so it's 0.04. It's, um, we're going to have to keep all the, the units lined up here. So it's $0.04 cents per share, which is, in terms of dollars, is 0.04. 0.04, yeah, good point. Okay. All right, so my intrinsic value number one, current earnings per share divided by the 19.5% hurdle rate, I've got negative 4.82. Okay, yep. not, not great. Intrinsic value, nothing. Below nothing. Shit. Complete shit. Okay. But intrinsic value number two, future earnings per share, divided by 7%, I've got it 50.57. 57 cents. No? Okay, yeah. So I divide by 7.5% and I get 0.53. Oh, okay. 0.75, huh? Yeah. Yeah. Why do you do that again? Seven and a half, not seven. Yeah, so it's the, if you remember, it's the uh, cash rate plus 6%. Ah, okay. 1.5%. Okay, so 0.53. All right, now I do the checklist. Mm -hmm. Now that I've got my data. So um, is it a star stock on Stock Doctor? No, it's not. Mm -hmm. Is it an A1 or a B2 on share analysis? I don't know. You'll have to tell me that. No, it's not. Okay, so it gets a zero on those. Is the share price beneath the Stock Doctor intrinsic value. Now, I couldn't find the Stock Doctor intrinsic value. Where is that? Okay, so Stock Doctor doesn't have an intrinsic value for the share because it's not a star stock. It does have a consensus value, and the consensus value is 0.455, so 45.5 cents, and that's based on eight brokers analyzing the stock. Can you see that? It's on the front page. Just Wait a Nine second. Wait, wait, Nine wait. Wait, yep. wait, 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 wait. I'm making notes. So it doesn't have an intrinsic value because it's not a star stock. What did you say mm-hmm. next? It uh, does consen- have a consensus valuation. Right. So Stock Doctor has a uh, reports on the consensus valuation. In this case, it tells you it's getting that from eight different uh, brokers. Where do you, Where do you find that again? Yeah. So the front page of Stock Doctor mm-hmm. on the uh, mm-hmm. Nine Golden Rules page. It's number five. So about halfway down the right-hand side. Aha. Uh-huh. Okay, got it. Yep. Yeah. Fair value, is that what we're looking at? A consensus valuation. Oh, consensus valuation, yeah, which is uh, in the middle of that line graph there. So 0.455. Mm-hmm. And is the share price beneath that? No, it's not. No. So it's, it's I guess, uh, the way I would do this is I don't score it if it doesn't have a stock doctor IV. Um, we can, but we can score it based on the consensus. It, it oftentimes fairly similar. Right. Okay. So it gets yeah. a zero anyway. Yeah, it gets a zero. Is the share price beneath the share analysis intrinsic value? Uh, no, it's not. That's eighteen cents last time I looked. Okay. Wow. Is it below my intrinsic value if I use a ninety point five percent hurdle rate, uh, which came in at negative four point eight two? So no, it is not negative four point eight two below that. Can you get it? Can you get a negative share price, Tony? You ever seen that? No, no. No. How would that work? No. 
Uh, well, if the company went bankrupt and you're a creditor, <laughs> yeah, you yeah. get paid out less than what you put in, I suppose. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> is it below the forecast? Uh, no, sorry. Is the forecast intrinsic value using a hurdle rate of seven point five percent below the share price? Now the. Second intrinsic value number I had was fifty three cents, and Ooh. that is below the current share price. Correct. So it gets uh, a one. No, we're looking for the share price to be below the intrinsic value. Ah, oh, oh, fuck. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Is we want to buy things for less than what we think they're worth. Really? Mm. That's how this works. Yeah. Unless you like dot com stocks and you just buy them anyway. That's yeah, one and only time I bought stocks, that's what I did. You probably make more money in the last twelve months than I have, but yeah, maybe not in the long term. Maybe. All right, so it's a zero for that one. Price to book is the share price less than thirty percent above the net equity per share? Uh and it is. No, it was when I looked this morning. Maybe that's changed. Hold on. Price to book. So- we got equity per share of uh, seventy-five cents, I think, didn't we? Yeah, yeah, and the price is seventy, so it's below that. Yeah, so it's a one. It's a score. Yes. Hold on. Is the price to book? Is the share price less than thirty percent above the net equity per share? Net equity per share is point seven five. Okay. Yes. Good. Gets a one. Does the share price have a positive trend? Now, this is uh, your three-point trend line. You're saying a one. No, you said a two. A two, that's right. Why a two? Uh, Just because I wanted to emphasize that in the checklist. So I just just doubled it, basically, to give it more more currency in the checklist, more of a value, more of an impact. Why? Well, in the past, again, this has evolved. In the past, I used to make it a hard rule that I wouldn't buy something unless it had a positive trend. And... And mine is a good example of this because back when I analysed it, when the results first came out earlier this year, um, you can see if you're looking at Stock Doctor, it would have been around uh, Feb- end of February, early March. Um, the share price wasn't making a new positive trend. And so, you know, in the past, I would have said, okay, I'm not going to buy. Just black and white, wasn't making a positive trend, not going to buy. But you can see it's gone up since then. So over time, I've said, well, you know, because I've seen cases where the numbers look good, the trend's going down, haven't bought it, and then next week someone goes, this is a really cheap company, and they launch a takeover on it. So I've taken it from being a a hard black and white rule to being something which has an above-average impact on the checklist score. Okay. So you do that for every company or just this one? No, every company. Okay. So a positive gets a two. All right. Is it the lowest PE in the last three years? No, it's not. So it gets a zero? Correct, yeah. Okay. I guess technically it is the lowest PE because it's negative, but we're looking for positive. (laughs) (laughs) Growth of earnings per share divided by PE. Now, I wasn't sure what to do with this one. Where do I get the growth of the earnings per share? I'm getting it from the financial statements page. I'm going into Stock Doctor... Okay, so the earnings per shares are on the financial statement page. At the moment, the current is minus 0.94 and projected to be $0.04. Cents. Okay, so the earnings per growth. So so then in my checklist, I'm wanting to find out the, uh, the growth of the earnings per share as a percentage. So I want to create a percentage between 4 and negative 0.94. Yeah, which is a bit tricky because it's, it's, uh, you're starting off with a negative 
But to go one step further, we're then going to divide it by the PE, and we don't have a PE, so it's a bit of a meaningless exercise at the moment. Okay, so we just do a zero for that one? Yeah, or just leave it blank. Uh, or Okay. But that f- fucks up my final calculation when I'm in <laughs> Excel. Then i got to change shit in Excel, man. No, it's getting it. Screw them. That's kind of, <laughs> It doesn't matter anyway. There's so many zeros in this thing. There's more zeros in this than... More zeros than your bank balance. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was speaking about negative numbers. Uh, does the company have a consistently increasing equity? No. Gets a zero. Yep. Is the PE less than the yield? There's just zeros everywhere. Um, yep. So I wouldn't score that one, but yep. Is the dividend yield higher than the mortgage rate? No, it's not. No, it's got no yield. It's got no dividend. Is the financial health from the subscription services stable or increasing? Yes. Correct. Okay. Gets a one. Is my forecast intrinsic value more than two times the share price, the current share price? No, it's not. Okay. Is it one of the top 10 ASX stocks? No. No. Is the price per share divided by the cash per share less to or equal than six? Yes. Correct. Okay. And this is another line that I'll give a score of two, two rather than one. Oh, okay. Is the CEO an owner or founder? Not unless he's really, really old. (laughs) Intrinsic value going up in the future. So how do we calculate that one? I couldn't uh, remember how to do that. Yeah, so we I'm using share analysis for that, and it is. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay, so you give it a one? I do, yeah. Okay. Now, based on the advice of our lawyers, we're not going to tell you what the final QAV score is for this stock. Uh, you have to do that yourself. Oh, maybe they could pay our lawyer bill. <laughs> <laughs> and then we'll email them what the score is. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even want to tell them how much that was. Um, yeah, so uh, we aren't here to give financial advice as we've said a million times. And apparently, even if we give a share a rating, that it can be inferred as giving advice. So do it yourself, which was the intention of the show always. You've got a checklist. We tell you the numbers that we think are important. Tony. That is, think, uh, and I, I think they're important too because Tony told me to think that way. Um, so uh, go check them out. Put the numbers in, do it yourself, come up with your own calculation, decide whether or not you think that stacks up. But there was a lot of zeros in there, Tony. Yeah, the, the, um, there was, but it has a very good uh, price to cash flow score. And if you recall, the next step, which we won't do, is to combine the, the quality score with the value score right um, to give a final rating and and sometimes it happens that you know one doesn't score well on quality but it scores well on cash flow and the overall score is good and sometimes it's the reverse and the overall score is bad or whatever so people will have to find it out for themselves and i think it's good to get people to do that not just to to practice the checklist but also to because they may not listen to this podcast for days weeks months after the 24th of April when we're recording it and the share price will have changed and quite potentially the checklist will have changed in that time period as well. Yeah, and as I said at the beginning, if you are listening to this after April 2019, don't, but it's too late now. You've already listened to it if you hear this bit. So, <laughs> Yeah, stop right now. <laughs> Can we talk about liquidity? Yeah, okay, so liquidity. Uh, again, on the Stock Doctor uh, page, the front one, 
average daily transactions, average daily value traded is $1.1 million. Okay. So it's fairly, it's fairly liquid. I mean, okay, yeah, they've got it as fairly liquid here. So over 500000 a day, they're calling quite liquid? Yeah, that's right. Right. And if you recall, we, um, as a safety measure, we divide that by 10 or 20 or recommend dividing it by 10 or 20 so we keep well below. So our, our position is well below the average daily traded. So if we have to get out quickly, we've got a better chance of doing that. Right. And that's one of the reasons why I didn't buy it as well, because that's coming down to sort of a $50,000 buy, which is a bit small for me. Yeah, you don't get out of bed for that kind of thing. That's, just... <laughs> that's right. I, I lay in bed watching the blinds go up and down. <laughs> <laughs> just thinking about all the coal that had to be dug out of the earth in order to make that happen and going, yeah. Yeah, give it a price too, and what's it worth, and yeah, <laughs> what's its intrinsic value? Yeah, you're thinking about all the shares and the coal companies that you've got, and how you're like, yeah, make yeah. dig me more coal. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get some more blinds going up and down. Come on, yeah, get the program sh- back. Yeah, <laughs> should, you should run in the election, Australia. Get your blinds going up and down. It's good for the economy. That'll be good. Surprised it's not one of Clive Palmer's uh, taglines. No, it probably is. He owns Coles Mine, Coal Mines, doesn't he? Or the one go broke? <laughs> Coles Meyer or Coal Mines? Which one? Coal Mines, not Coles Meyer, Coal Mines. <laughs> I don't know. I don't follow yeah. him. All right, that's it. <laughs> Thanks, mate. Okay, thank you. See ya. All right, that was a pretty dense episode. Uh hope you were sitting down for that. And I hope you're getting better, as I think I am, at using this worksheet. Of course, as always... This isn't financial advice. Please consult a financial advisor before you make any major investment decisions, but go better armed now than you were before. Thanks for listening to the show. Tell your friends about it. If you think they might be interested in learning a bit more about this, give us a plug on Facebook or shoot an email with our latest episode. Make sure you're signed up to our mailing list as well. If you're a new subscriber, thanks for subscribing, by the way. We appreciate it. And we look forward to going on this journey of education of financial literacy with you. My name's Cameron Riley. Drop me an email at CameronRiley at gmail.com if you've got any questions about the show. And we'll be back next week.